Tell me what happened. I was with Jesus all day. So we get on a boat to cross the lake, and, you know, more boats come too. I guess they were all so caught up in following him that they didn't even see it coming. See what coming? That storm last night. I've never been on the lake in a storm like that. And there Jesus is, in the stern, laying down, fast asleep. We woke him up. We asked him, Teacher, do you not care if we perish? How did he answer? He shouted at the storm, Quiet! Be still! And and get this, the wind just stopped. The lake completely flat. How did that make you feel? That part was awesome. Then he turned to us. He looked me right in the eye and he said, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So we're starting a new series today called The Counselor. And I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been to a counselor? Any kind of counseling? All right, that's cool. Counseling used to have a stigma, right? I don't think it has so much of a stigma anymore. There's just a ton of wisdom that you can gain from going to someone and allowing them to talk to you and you get your stuff out and they they begin to ask questions. This is what I discovered when I went to counseling. Janie and I have been to counseling. And and what I discovered was that that many times you'll go in there thinking you're going to get answers and what the counselor does is he'll start to ask you questions. So I was kind of really seeking direction for my life. I was kind of messed up about stuff and, and I was asking him questions and then he started asking me questions. And I realized that as I began to answer those questions, the direction of my life became very, very clear. And so this made me think about Jesus. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are called the gospels. You'll find that Jesus um, asked questions over and over. In fact, many times people would come and ask him a question. He would answer the question with a question. We have over 100 recorded questions that Jesus asked just in the four gospels. And, um, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at four of the most important questions that Jesus asked. We're going to let him be our counselor. As he begins to ask you deep questions, if you will listen to the question, if you will search your heart and try to figure out the answer to that question, Jesus himself will become your counselor. And I thought this was interesting because I did a series a few years ago called He Will Be Called uh, for Christmas, and it's from Isaiah. And in Isaiah, 400 years before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah called him four names. He said, he will be wonderful counselor. He will be the mighty God. He'll be the everlasting father and the prince of peace. So Isaiah, 400 years before Jesus came on the earth, he said one of the jobs, one of his job descriptions, one of his titles will be wonderful counselor. Now, the first question we're going to look at today is is for those people who are in the middle of a trial or if you're in the middle of a storm. Jesus is going to ask you a question. It's the title of our message today. Why are you so afraid? Week two, it's for people who need a miracle. You cannot do something on your own. It is physically, spiritually, emotionally impossible. You need a miracle. Jesus is going to uh, ask the question, do you believe I can do this? The third week, we're going to focus on a question um, for people who have a habit that they can't break. Maybe it's habitual sin. Maybe it's just a habit that's not good for you, not necessarily a sin, something you can't overcome. Jesus is going to ask a question that seems really, really obvious on the surface. But once we study it and once you begin to let this um, question penetrate your heart, you're going to see it's very, very profound. The question he asks for people who need to be made well, do you want to be well? 
Great question. And then the last week, uh, the fourth week will actually be Easter weekend. And we're going to deal with um, one of the biggest challenges that the church of 2015 faces. And that's people who are skeptical. And so Jesus is going to ask the question. We're going to look at the question that day. Why do you doubt? And we're going to talk about doubt. A lot of people don't talk about that in the church. We're going to talk about it on Easter Sunday. Now, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, if, if you have your smartphones and you want to go to you version, you can follow along there. Let me give you kind of the background of this. So Jesus is a teacher, right? One of his jobs is teacher. So he's teaching. Every time Jesus would teach, a massive crowd would come and they would gather. And so this, this occasion, um, uh, the crowd gets so big, he's standing on the shore next to the Sea of Galilee or the lake. It, it depends on what translation you read. Some, up, some call it Lake Gennesaret. It's a massive body of water for a lake, but some people call it Sea of Galilee. Some people call it Lake Gennesaret. Anyway, he's standing on the shore. He's down on the beach. The crowd is so large and they press in so much that Jesus gets in a boat pushes off a little bit from shore. The people are on shore and he begins to teach and he teaches all day. I would encourage you this week to read uh, Mark chapter four, the whole uh, chapter of what Jesus was teaching. And so he's teaching, he's teaching all day. And the Bible tells us that around evening, it's about to get dark. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. And so what his, the boat, which was the pulpit all day long is about to become a sermon illustration. Here it is. We're beginning in Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 37. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. I love that little, little thing. We'll get back to that in a second. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Now, how many of you have ever been in a boat when you were in a storm and you thought you might not survive? Anyone? This is kind of funny, not funny to me. When I first moved down here, I fished um, Richland Chambers a lot. And almost everybody I know who's been on Richland Chambers any amount of time has a story about I almost died. Their eyes get big and they talk about because for some reason winds just come down Richland Chambers. It's wide open. It's hard to get out of the wind. And, and everybody has a story about um, they, almost, they almost sank. Well, I have a story from when I was a kid. I was about 11, 12 years old. We had a boat. It was a 17-foot boat. And um, we used to go to the lake all the time. My brother's 14, 12 years older than me. Sis is seven years older than me. And we used to go to, the, to Lake Meredith. It's a few miles outside of Borger. And one of the things we would do, I don't know why, we always went to this one boat ramp. Dad was kind of a habit guy, and I guess I kind of do that too. He would always go to this one boat ramp, I think because it wasn't all that crowded. We would launch the boat. We would go all over the lake. My brothers would ski. We'd jump in and swim. We'd fish sometimes. My favorite thing, though, as a kid was to go to the marina. So we would go all the way up by the dam, and there was a marina marina there. Now the marina had a fishing club and, and you, we never paid money for that. Cause dad said, why pay money to fish when you can just throw it out there. Anyway, there were huge carp that would swim around the marina. I mean, big honking carp. And the coolest thing for a kid was to go in and get popcorn and not eat it. You would throw it out there and then the carp would just come. I mean, they're just at the top of the water is awesome. And ducks would come and it was awesome. And my parents were so cheap. They never would let me get popcorn. I would have to go with someone else. But anyway, I'm, I'm not bitter about that at all. Uh, <laughs> always wanted to fish anyway <clears throat> well this one day um we're in the marina and we're just walking around and and all of a sudden somebody says hey i i heard a storm is coming in 
and, and in the panhandle, the type of storm that was coming in is called a blue norther because it comes from the north and it's blue. And we're just really smart like that. We call it blue norther. And, and seriously, you look out and you see something dark blue on the horizon, get your booty to safety because it is a, it is a massive deal. So dad decided, you know, we didn't need to mess around. We need to get out of there right then. So he puts us in the boat and he says, you go back to the boat ramp. I'm going to hit your ride over. So I'll have the trailer waiting on you. You can get there. When you get there, you can just load up and go home. Well, when we came out from the marina, it's the only place on Lake Meredith that's, that's protected. We come out and, and we hadn't gone, I don't know, half a mile when, when the, the apocalypse on the water happened. And, and I mean, thunder, lightning, the panhandle. See, I thought it was normal. I thought, I thought wind was normal. When we used to play baseball, we played in, in Leveland, Lubbock. And, and not kidding, there would be times where they would call timeout and you would sit down on the field because there were, uh, there were all kinds of uh, cotton fields around. And, and if, they were, if they weren't planted, when the wind would blow 60 or 70 miles an hour, you couldn't see. And so we'd sit down on the bases and put our hands over and, and pray to God that this would stop sometime soon. I thought, I thought wind like that was normal. So we're on the lake and wind like that happens and the boat starts going up and down and, and we're, to, we think it was about six to eight feet were the, the waves on a lake in a 17 foot boat. Now, the only reason that we did not sink, in my opinion, is because we had one of the older style boats that didn't have the walk through windshield. It was completely covered. We had the top up and so we all have our life jackets on and my brother is driving and my mom and sister-in-law, my sister and brother-in-law are all in the boat and we start going along. And, and we are, we are riding up and down and it's the worst experience of my life. And my brother starts telling me what to do when the boat flips, not if the boat flips, when it flips. Now, my sister is going absolutely crazy. It's like she's demon possessed and, and Holy Spirit. I don't know. There was a combination, you know, Pentecostal. I don't know what was going on there. But that was normal. That's the way sis handled crisis. And she's going crazy. So I'm kind of not, not paying attention to her. My brother is driving in between waves. He said, now, Doug, here's what you do. When the boat flips, I want you to hold on to the boat. He said, if I get separated from you, don't you dare let go of the boat. It's the safest place on the water is holding on the boat. So I, I'm, I'm talking to my brother and you know, mom's over there. She's, her lips are moving. I'm assuming she's praying. I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit hit her too. I don't know. We we're all Baptists. So I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. Um, and so I'm not panicking though, because my brother is not panicking. There's, there's a spiritual point there. I'll let you make that one. Now, by the grace of God, we did not sink, but that was the longest two miles because we're going directly into the waves. We would go up one, down, and, and if my brother timed it right, you know, he'd kind of give it a little bit of gas. Sometimes he didn't time it right, and we didn't go over the next, we went through the next wave, you know. And uh, <laughs> sis is yelling at Larry, Larry's yelling at sis, and I'm holding on to the boat, because um, <laughs> that's all I know to do. And by the grace of God, we, we made it. It's, it was the scariest thing that I've ever been through, and, and I still am not positive how, because we were going directly in, but, we, but our, our boat ramp was over here. And so my brother kept counting. He would, you know, we'd come over a wave and he would count 1,001, 1,002 to try to get his bearings because finally he said, I just got to go for it. And we turn sideways and the waves are coming and we're rocking and, and we get in and, and dad's up there waving. We get, we trailer that boat. Dad takes us home and we never stepped foot on that boat again because dad thought he'd lost us. He sold the boat. He fixed that problem. 
Now, I, ha- I am bitter about that because my brothers got to take that boat all the time. But I, anyway. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a life or death situation. But even if you're not a believer in Christ, when you go through a life or death situation, you start to pray. One time, uh, the choir I was in at Baylor, my senior year, we got to go out to California, went to uh, Disneyland, and we got to sing in this little deal. It was a national deal, and it was this big deal. There were like 60 of us on this Southwest Airlines plane. <clears throat> 60 of the 120 passengers were from Baylor. And uh, we were coming back, and it was wind. It was, it was El Paso, but it was wind like in Borger, okay? And so we're going along, and, and we start it's roller coaster in the sky in, on, on, you know, 737. And, and I'm not kidding. As we were banking to turn, a gust of wind hit us and we turned, I'm, I'm in the window seat and, and there's people are already pulling out the, the barf bags and, and they're puking and praying and puking and praying. I mean, is this, they were everywhere. We turned and I'm looking straight down at the ground and I said, I've never done this before, you know? And the, the girl, a friend of mine, I wasn't dating or anything, but she's holding on to my, she's actually bringing blood because she's scared to death. And, you know, and I'm going, we may not make this. People were praying all over the place, whether they were Christ followers or not. People pray because that's what you do when you're in a crisis, right? People start saying, I don't know if you're real, God, but if you are, would you get me out of this? That's the scene that the Bible is describing with men, many of whom were professional fishermen. They are scared to death. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. And and I think it's funny because it says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Thank God he's got a cushion. Because I don't know how he'd sleep without a cushion in in the the tempest. The disciples were up, woke him up, shouting, Teacher, now if you have your listening guide, circle that word because this is a big deal. This is one of the things I want you to get today. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? They're thinking they're going to drown. This is a life or death situation. Jesus is taking a nap. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of faith? Dude, I want to have that kind of faith. Everything's going wrong. Y'all wake me up. I'm going to go sleep. Right? That's Jesus. Okay. Look what happens. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, silence, be still. Have you ever tried that? Get it on video if you do. I just want to see it. I want somebody to go out in a tempest and, and stand up and rebuke the wind and the waves. Come on, right? We would use that. He says, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. I don't know if you've ever been on a lake when, when there's a storm. It never immediately calms down, right? The waves keep going. It takes a while. Not, not when Jesus commands it. There was a great calm. Then he asked them. Now, here's the question. I want you to say it out loud with me. Why are you afraid? Say it again. Why are you afraid? Now, in the NIV, it adds a little word. It says, so afraid. So we're actually going to do that because these guys were petrified. So I want you to put so in there. Why are you so afraid? Ready? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus is going, yo, I'm on the boat. You've seen me do great stuff. I'm on the boat with you. Why are you freaking out? Now, here's here's the funny thing to me. The Bible says they were scared that they were going to die. But I want you to notice their reaction to what Jesus did. Verse 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. They went to a new level. Who is this man? I mean, if I'm, if I'm on a boat and dude says, quiet, be still, I'm going to go, Ooh. right? 
even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, where I come from, you know, the panhandle, I think we're like 200 feet above sea level. I don't know what it is. Um, We're not very far above sea level. The Sea of Galilee, where this event took place, is 680 feet below sea level, and there's mountains all over the place. Now, part of what made the the panhandle and and Oklahoma ripe for all of the tornadoes, when I was a senior in high school, in in about a two-month span, I could spot... I actually, I did because I wasn't real smart. I stood on the top of my roof and saw 12 different tornadoes from my house in Borger, Texas. And we were coming back from youth camp one time and, and, uh, we were, we, we see the blue Northern looking thing happening. And, and I said, there's about to be a tornado there. And, and, and sure enough, they come on the radio, they break in, they say, if you're in Borger, Texas, take cover right now, because there's a tornado on the ground. And my brother-in-law was actually at his restaurant. And for some reason, the tornado comes up, goes over the restaurant. Crazy friend of mine, her, her dad was in a car and the car was flipped, broke his back. He was in the hospital for a long time. There was a man coming out of Borger and he flashes the lights. He actually pulls over and says, don't go in. His eyes are huge. Don't go there. And there's a hole in his windshield. And we're like, what caused that? He said, look on the front seat. Softball size hail came through windshield. Now, Think of that type of storm because these are mountains and, and then you're 680 feet below sea level. Experts say this is the perfect place for storms to just come up out of nowhere. And uh, it can be a beautiful one, day one minute and, and the next minute it is just unbelievably dangerous. What I want you to realize is there's going to be times in your life that you're going to go through storms. This is why I think God put this in the, in the Bible for us is, is for us to bring it to today. Um, many of you know about what's going on in the oil field right now. We, we had unbelievable prosperity, right? Now we have an oil glut and a lot of people are being laid off. And all of a sudden, 12 months ago, life was good. Today, you're having some financial storms, some financial trials that you're going through. Maybe your marriage is better than it's ever been and you sigh and you think, man, God, thank you. And then all of a sudden your spouse goes to the doctor and finds something wrong. And before you know it, the rug has been pulled out from your life and, and you're really struggling because you're in a storm. Or you prayed for your child and you think, finally, my child is on the right track. And then you find out the truth. And when your child is messed up, it doesn't matter how many other things in your life are going right. Your child being on the wrong path. That's a storm, right? You know what's kind of funny to me? Not funny like in ha-ha, but funny ironic? Church people are some of the best people at hiding the storms that they go through. That's why we're called hypocrites. Because we can be in the middle of a tempest and we put on a good front and we act like everything is good and, and people don't know what's going on. And here's, this is a strange thing. It happens in churches. People will see somebody, they, they, they live in a nice house and they say, man, I would love to live in a house like that. And the person in that house is like, here's the keys, take over payments. I'm behind, I'm about to lose this house. And they're in this financial storm, but you can't see it. You just say, nice house, everything must be great for them. I know people in this church look at somebody else and they say, man, I wish I had a marriage like they do. And, and if you talk to those people, they're like, dude, we're barely hanging on. Outside we look good, but behind closed doors, it's not, not very good. Sometimes you look good on the outside when you come to church. Nobody knows that you cry yourself to sleep at night because life is just hard and you don't know how you're going to keep going. 
Some of you are lonely, and that's the biggest problem you have is, is you're lonely, and you think you're always going to be lonely. And, and, but you come here, how's life? Oh, it's good, it's good. Praise God. All right? That's what church people do. I wonder how many of you would just be radically honest right now and say that you're in the middle of a storm. Now keep your hands up. How many of you are in a storm or someone you love dearly is in a storm? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me tell you two things that you need to take from today about storms. These two things are for believers in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, I'm sorry. These, these two specific things are for Christians. Two things to remember when you're in a storm. First, I'm in the storm with God. Now, where was Jesus? In the boat or out of the boat? In the boat. Where was the boat? In the storm or out of the storm? In the storm. Too many people think if I'm with Jesus, there shouldn't be a storm. I gave my life to Christ. It should be smooth sailing from now on. You know why we don't teach that around here? Because that's a lie from hell. Jesus, the founder of our religion, said this in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. In this world, you'll have what? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Everybody needs to pay attention to this. Jesus said this. In this world, you'll have what? Trouble. And, and it would be really cool if he'd say, but when you come to me, trouble's gone. There, and everybody would be a Christian then, right? whole world would be full of Christians. He doesn't say that. He says, but take heart. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. I'm bigger than the world. I created the world. And see, when Jesus never promised if you came to him that life would be easy and storm-free, because when you, when you move into the Christian life, you move from what the Bible calls darkness. It's not real dark, but shadows, right? You move from darkness into light. What that means is Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. And, and the Bible calls Jesus the light, and the darkness hates the light. Those who are not Christ followers, they can live like hell, and I expect them to live like hell because they don't know Jesus. The problem in our world is not the people living in darkness. The problem is the people living in light. Light dispels darkness. Salt delays rot. Jesus said you're supposed to be the light of the world. He's the salt of the earth. Salt can't do anything unless it comes into contact with something else. You have to have proximity. You've got to have contact for, for salt to do any delaying of rot. When's the last time you know that Christians delayed rot in the world? Because their light was so bright, because their salt was such a preservative. Doesn't happen very often, does it? When you step into the light... The problem is when you're dark, in darkness, you're going with the flow. When you become part of the light, you're going against the flow. That's why it's difficult. And our founder said it was going to be difficult. God never promises that just because Jesus is in the boat, that storms will never rock you. You need to remember this. He doesn't promise that the storms will never rock you. What he promises is that the storm will never sink you. Because God is for you, God is with you. There's nothing that can take you away from the presence of God. Jesus was in the stern, he was in the boat, and this was a game changer. Every now and then, you're going to go through. See, this is what I believe. I believe that, that non-Christians go through storms, Christians go through storms as well, so that the world can see the difference. 
When you go through a storm, it's so that the world can see the difference in how you go through it. And somebody's going to ask you at some point, they're going to say, how come your world is falling apart and you're not falling apart? And you know what the the simple answer is? Because Jesus is in my boat. I want to hear some of you say that. How come your world's not falling apart? What? Jesus is in my boat. And that makes all the difference. His power is my power. His strength is my strength. And this is, this is the point I want you to get. If God is all powerful, right? We believe that. We teach that God is all powerful. Then the presence or absence of a storm is irrelevant, right? If I'm outside the storm, God's all powerful and I'm, I'm God's child and God is with me and God is for me. If I'm inside the storm, God is still all powerful. He's still with me. He's still for me. It's irrelevant whether I'm in a storm or not if God is all powerful. The problem is when you try to do things in your power, if God is all power, it doesn't matter if I'm in a storm or not. Now, the problem is most Christ followers don't know scripture because there's a promise in scripture for every problem that you will ever face. And you need to personalize those. Here's just a few. Um, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge, but you need to pray it. God is my refuge. I've prayed it sitting here, playing the song, I am not alone. I've prayed it sit on my knees there. I've prayed it in most of these chairs. God, you're my refuge. I need a safe place. God is my refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Hebrews 13, 5. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. That's already very personal. God says to you, if you're my child, I'm not going to leave you alone. I will go through you, through the storms with you. And then Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... Notice it doesn't say that you're going to camp out in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say you're going to build a house and always be in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm moving through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm walking through, and and here's, here's why, and here's why I don't have to fear. I will fear no evil because why God is with me. One of the names of God is Emmanuel, God with us. It's why Jesus put on flesh and bones. He never promised the storm wouldn't rock you. He promised that the storm wouldn't sink you. When you see Jesus in the boat, it should make a difference. I'm in a storm with God. Second thing to remember when you're in a storm, I'm in the storm for God's glory. You're in the storm with God, you're in the storm for God's glory. Favorite part of the story. Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Whose idea was it to go to the other side of the lake? Jesus. Why was he taking him to the other side of the lake? If you read the next chapter, Mark chapter five, there is a man possessed by demons there. And the Bible says that that when Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, we are legion for we are many. Jesus was God in flesh and he knew this man was on the other side of the lake. He knew that he was taking the disciples in the boat through the storm. He was going to, he was going to deliver them to the other side. He gets there. He casts the demons out of this man. The demons go into these pigs. The pigs run. They jump off the cliff. They were pig farmers. They got kind of scared. They came out and they said, Jesus, please leave. So he's only there a, a short amount of time to cast out demons. And then the, the demon possessed man who's now in his right mind freaked everybody out, by the way, because everybody knew they couldn't even let him live in the city. They'd they'd bind him with chains and he had superhuman strength because of the demonic power that was within him. He would break the chains. He lived in the tombs. But when Jesus healed him, cast out the demons, he becomes perfectly sane and the people freaked out. Woo, you know, who is this dude? Even the demons obey. And he begs Jesus to come with him. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I need you to go back and preach. Tell everybody in your city 
what happened? And the Bible says that he preached all in the Decapolis, the 10 city area. He became an evangelist and he went around preaching. Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat, go to the other side. Jesus knew there'd be a storm. Storms don't take him by surprise. He's the only meteorologist who's never wrong, right? Jesus knows this stuff. Now, there's only two reasons to be in a storm. One is you're in a storm because you're outside the will of God. If you're in a storm because you're outside the will of God, you are on your own and God is not obligated to protect you. The other reason to be in a storm is because you are in the will of God and God took you into it. The disciples were actually in the storm because they were in the center of God's will. And people are going to say, did God cause the storm or did God in his sovereignty allow the storm? Okay, I don't know for sure, but I'll give you my guess. My guess is because there was a demoniac on the other side of the lake that was going to start preaching and telling people about Jesus and he was going to spread light and salt everywhere that he went. My guess is that that Satan caused a storm to try to keep Jesus from getting there. But ultimately, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter whether God allowed the storm or God caused the storm because God uses storms to do a work inside of you and me. Does not matter where it came from because God is bigger than that storm. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, can write these words. These words are some of the strangest in the scripture if you don't understand how God works. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Say, what? I, I don't know if you ever do this. When you read scripture, you read it and go, wait a minute, I, I had to read that wrong. All right, so your response, is that it's at the point of the sermon where your eyes are drooping, right? So I need to give you an opportunity to, to respond. So I'm going to read that again, and you're going to say, say, what? Let's practice. Pretty good, all right. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, here it is, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Unless you know how God works. Because the half-brother of Jesus, who was a skeptic, he did not believe Jesus was God's son until Jesus rose from the dead. Right? The skeptic says this, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What does a good teacher do? Why does, it, why does a good teacher test you? To see what you've learned. If a teacher never tests you, we wouldn't know. We, I, <laughs> I know guys that, that actually passed through school, never, never passed the test, but the teachers didn't want him and they just kept moving him on. One of them made it to Baylor. I don't know how. From my high school. That's another story for another day. The teacher tests you and when you pass the test, it is to promote you to the next level, right? Some of, well, actually all of us, if you're a Christian, God wants to take you through tests to reveal to you who he is but also what your character is. God wants to grow you up. We have a very, very young congregation. We need some maturing going on. Do you know how God matures people? One way is through the word of God. Part of the reason the Bible says don't, don't forsake assembling together, it, it means that we're supposed to be in the habit of going to church so we can be fed, so we can worship together, so we can be fed from the word of God. But you're also supposed to feed yourself. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to go from drinking milk like spiritual babies to, str- to the meat of the word. 
We need people to to fall in love with God's word because it is more than instruction manual. In the Old Testament, God said these words are your life. If you thought scripture was your life, you wouldn't treat it the way you do. You wouldn't stick it over there and let, let dust gather on it. You would be feeding from it on a daily basis and you would be changed. You would grow up. That's one of the ways that God grows us up. Another way is serving. God always grows us as we serve and work for others. That's why you can go to a service project and go home and feel good because you've done something that, that helped advance the kingdom of God. It helped repel the kingdom of Satan. Satan will never tempt you to do something that causes you to serve someone else. Satan always tempts you to do something that, that is self-serving where you try to get on top. It's why the disciples argued, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who cares? Jesus. I can answer that one. Jesus is the greatest. And we're all at the foot of the cross. There, there's no higher ground when you bow at the foot of the cross. <laughs> the third way that Jesus takes us, matures us, is to take us through storms. And I, I would venture to guess this. The difference in where, you, where God wants you to be and where you are today is a storm that you haven't gone through yet. The most mature Christians I know have been severely tested and by the power of God's spirit, they have passed the test and they're never the same again. They've learned that there's purpose in every storm. So God wants to teach you some things in the middle of a storm. Now, some of you are going to say, how can a good God allow us to go through storms? And I'm going to ask you this. How could a good God not allow you to go through storms if it matures you and brings glory and honor to his kingdom? Because we don't pray. We actually don't pray that, that our children will never suffer. We don't pray that because I think that's a selfish prayer. We pray that when my kids suffer, that God would be very real to them and, and remind them that he's in charge and he's bigger than whatever they face. That's how you mature. I've been through storms. Just today I was, I was looking through my, my iPad and, and saw some pictures of where mom and dad had a wreck. And uh, I'll show you that sometime. But crazy thing is mom and dad and sis died in an instant. And there's this telephone pole and there were little crosses that they put up where mom and dad died and sis died. And the crazy thing is my brother-in-law, he was forced off the road and he missed a light pole, but he didn't see the telephone pole. And, and they wrapped around the, the telephone pole. Mom, dad, sis died instantly. My brother-in-law... Um, crawled over my dead father trying to revive his wife. It's, it's a pretty messed up deal. When I show you the picture, it's kind of wild. Uh, I won't show you today, but the telephone poles here, there's probably a hundred acres of nothing outside that pole. So if, if going 70 miles an hour and being forced off by a truck, if he hadn't hit the pole, they would have gone out in, in the middle of the field and sank you know, because the tires would have been buried. <laughs> Mom would have been ticked off because her son-in-law scratched her car, and that's her baby. Probably would have survived, but, but here's the thing. God knew. Now, did, did God cause them? Did he cause that accident? I don't believe that for a second. I believe there's an enemy who wants to destroy lives. My brothers and I preached my parents' funeral. Honestly, I don't even remember what all I said, but it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life to be in First Baptist Borger where I grew up 
honoring the memory of my mom and my dad and my sister and just telling folks about the legacy that they left behind and all the good stuff that they planted in my life that I want to carry on. I cried. The Bible says we weep when people die, but we don't weep like those who have no hope because I know mom was a Christ follower. I talked to her. I got it on video. I went back and talked to my dad. I got his story on video. I've talked to my sister. They're in heaven today, and I'm going to see them someday. Not today, unless one of y'all hit me on the road, right? I mean, it could be today. I don't know. We're going to go through storms, and it, it matters who you're looking at when you're in the storm. I get it. Some of you think the boat's going to sink. <laughs> but here's the thing. This is, this is cool to me. Jesus gets up. The Bible says he rebukes the wind. Bad wind. One, two. What, how do you rebuke the wind? I'm putting you in timeout, wind. I don't know. That's just the way my mind works. And then he commands the waves to be still, and they are. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus is asking you today, why are you so afraid? There's a very, very simple answer. If you're afraid today and you're a follower of Christ, it's because you're looking at the wrong thing. Peter walked on water. He looked at the waves. He started to sink. He remembered and looked back. Save me, Lord. Jesus reached out and saves him. He said, oh, Peter, you have little faith. I can't tell you how many times God has said... Doug, you of little faith. If God's all-powerful, it doesn't matter how many storms we go through. If we have our eyes on him, we may be rocked, but we're not going to sink. Let's pray together. Father, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of storms in our lives and and. Too many of us have pretended that that we're not in a storm. We don't want anybody else to know, and, and that's, that's Satan distracting us and keeping us from being healed and keeping us from learning what we need to do and keeping us from bringing glory and honor to your name. Forgive us for that, God, and help us to lay everything at your feet and not take it back to trust you and to show a lost and dying world that there is hope in Christ. Forgive us for bringing dishonor to your name by the way we handle crises in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.